Hi everyone and welcome back to Coffee Break Science. Today I'm joined by the wonderful Dr. Heather Fitzke, who is currently a postdoctoral researcher at UCL Centre for Medical Imaging. She did her PhD as part of the London Interdisciplinary Biosciences Consortium, which is the largest BBSRC-funded doctoral training partnership in the UK. It essentially represents an exciting collaboration between the top London universities and special institutions, and Heather did her PhD in a collaboration between Queen Mary University of London and UCL. Prior to this, though, she comes from a very interesting background, which essentially started with studying social anthropology at undergraduate level, which she then expanded upon with an MSc in epidemiology. So Heather's got a really varied and diverse career journey so far, and I hope you enjoy listening to her journey as much as I did in facilitating our conversation. I'm your host, Dr. Asana Stoller, a junior postdoctoral researcher working in the field of neurogastroenterology. So Heather, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. It's a pleasure to have you and I'm really excited to chat to you about your career journey so far. Could you start by introducing yourself without leaving out any of the good stuff? Well, it's a pleasure to be here. So my name is Heather Fitzke. I am a postdoctoral research associate at University College London. Um, And before that, I was a PhD student at the Wingate Institute of Neurogastroenterology and Motility, which is how we know each other. Um, Before that, I did many things. (laughs) But now I'm working on developing and testing out new many software tools for analyzing magnetic resonance imaging data of the gastrointestinal tract. So mostly that's in inflammatory bowel disease, so um, Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, but also still carrying on a little bit of my neurogastro work from my PhD, which I'm very much enjoying. Cool. So you mentioned that you did a lot of stuff before your PhD. Could you talk to us a little bit about that journey and how you ended up doing the PhD at the Wingate? joint with UCL on all the software tools for analysis of IBD patients? Well, if we if we go all the way back, <laughs> um, so I was a very confused teenager and I think I did my A-levels in chemistry, further maths, media studies and drama. So I was very yeah, I had very mixed interests um, and not many people (laughs) did both of those things. So initially I was applying to do like chemistry, physiology at university a very long time ago. And then I had a gap year. And I think one of my friends was, had said something about studying social anthropology and I found out a little bit more about it. And then I was at the University of Edinburgh looking at physiology courses and chemistry and it started to rain. Uh, So I walked into a lecture theatre and saw they were talking about social anthropology. So kind of sat at the back and then ended up doing social anthropology, (laughs) not at Edinburgh, but at Manchester. So I I kind of picked the social science side at that point, sort of thinking that 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 was what I wanted to do forever. But then through that course, ended up always finding myself going towards more medical anthropology, things about technologies of reproduction. So I still had that interest in in science even, even then. And after a few years trying to get a job in the charity sector, I ended up doing a research job at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, I think was the first one, where I was doing database entry on all the horrible things that people catch when they go abroad. <laughs> and and, I, and that kind of brought me back, back to science. So I think that was about 2010-11 when I started working back in research in, so first at the 
in tropical diseases. And then I think my first proper job in imaging was on prostate cancer. So I don't know if you know much about prostate cancer, but one of the the screening tests they use for it is um, prostate specific antigen, which is a really bad screening test. And so if you have a high PSA level and you're a man over over 60, then what they would do at this time is almost immediately go to a prostate biopsy. And that is uncomfortable, has lots of side effects. And that first job was looking at those side effects and what happens to patients afterwards. What's what's happened since then, and some of the early research I was working on then was involved in this, is they've actually shown that you can now use MRI to, to screen before doing that horrible biopsy and prevent quite a lot of sort of horrible side effects that no one wants to read about when they're in their early 20s. Um, so I think that job really gave me that first insight into how powerful imaging can be and what impact it has on people's lives. So I then started working with that group as a research assistant and worked my way up, up to sort of a centre manager role. At the meantime, doing a master's in epidemiology at UCL. So trying to balance my my day job full-time and a part-time master's was pretty <laughs> interesting, but it kind of, both of them really complemented each other. My work were really supportive of, of me pursuing an academic career. And that eventually led me to applying to do a PhD. And definitely that epidemiology helped me bridge the gap from social anthropology to um, what was a, a BBSRC funded scheme. So it was supposed to be interdisciplinary bioscience, taking biologists and neuroscientists and people from back, different backgrounds and teaching them sort of computational skills and systems biology and I, th- I think I was, I was the weirdest background <laughs> that came onto that. Some people were like, oh, I'm a structural biologist. And like, oh, I'm this kind of biologist. I really still don't know really the difference between any of these different types of biologists. But I was the social anthropologist that hadn't done biology since I was 16 years old. I think I actually had to Google what is a neuron because I was like, I don't actually know <laughs> when I started my at the very beginning, but then ended up doing my picking my project in neurogastroenterology. And I don't ask me to explain exactly how neurons work now, but I think I've got a better idea <laughs> after a few years. So yeah, it was it was quite an interesting journey to get to that PhD. But the program I was on, which was the London Interdisciplinary Doctoral Training Program, was an amazing opportunity to to try out lots and lots of different things. And they really encouraged us to go outside our comfort zone. And I think I was outside my comfort zone for four years, constantly Googling stuff all the time. (laughs) And then I finished that in 2020 and went pretty much straight into a postdoc with the group that I had had worked with during my PhD. So I've kind of, after wandering far and wide, I've, I've stuck with the group that I had known for, for a while because they've been good to me. That is an incredible story. And to be honest, I knew vaguely, like I remember anthropology, like that was your background, but I had no idea that you had such a interesting journey before even starting your PhD. So that's really interesting to hear. And thank you for sharing. I know a little bit about what it's like to do a part-time master's in epidemiology, not personally, but because my husband did the same thing. And I know how incredibly challenging it is to like juggle a full-time job and a part-time master's in something that's not easy at all. And for you particularly, I guess, I at some point was interested in epidemiology, but it's so statistics heavy that I 
admire you for having gone into that from like a social science BSc because I assume that while you may have been trained to do some statistics it's probably I don't know I guess you had to learn a lot of things during that but like you mentioned that it was a good bridging sort of journey to your eventual medical systems biology kind of imaging PhD at the Wingate and UCL but yeah that that's really really interesting and I guess I'm wondering a PhD is difficult enough as it is like for anyone but what was it like for you coming from a slightly different background and although I know that you you were I guess on the Lido program which is supposed to be interdisciplinary so perhaps they gave extra training or support to you but what was one of the biggest challenges that you faced throughout your PhD journey and what kind of strategies did you engineer to try and overcome with or deal with those challenges and was the the social science kind of background one of those challenges or did it not matter so much? Oh, lots of questions. Yeah. So, I mean, there's all sorts of cliches that describe what PhDs are. And for me, it was definitely a roller coaster. I had some real highs and some real like moments where I kind of felt like I was cracking into something and making progress. And and I really loved the opportunity that Lido gave me in particular, where they really encouraged us to go out and kind of push these boundaries. But yeah, it was really a struggle not knowing even like basic, basic stuff. Like I, I very early on, I, I got some funding to go to, to KU Leuven, where we had a, a university in Belgium where we, that we had collaborations with in our lab. And there they were showing me how to collect blood and sort of store it so that you could analyze it for different gut peptides. And so a few of the PhD students and postdocs were were showing me how to do this. And they they said they gave me this thing. And I was like, what what is this? And she was like, it's a pipette. And I was like, how how do I use it? Because <laughs> the last time I'd used a pipette, it was like those little like squishy, you know, it looks like a kind of light bulb at the top and you just squish it. I'd never ever seen this thing with like the wheels and the numbers and then there were like digital ones and like literally my mind just exploded (laughs) I was like okay this is you know and they were shocked because they were like how are you doing this PhD when you don't even know what a pipette is I after that frequently asked my question (laughs) that question myself but yeah so very 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 generous people spent a lot of time showing me how to do things, you know, explaining things from basic principles. Google is amazing, but there's nothing that beats, you know, someone explaining it to you and taking time to explain something to you. So I I think now that I'm a postdoc, I take time to try and help other people in a similar way because it's very easy when you're an expert at something to forget what it's like to not be an expert at something. And when you're doing a PhD, you're surrounded by, you know, something like the top one, two percent of academic achievement in the country. So everyone is so clever and everyone knows so much. And we kind of, everyone seems to forget that not everyone knows the same things or the same words or the same, you know, language and stuff. So I, it basically, I spent a lot of time just being, putting my hand up and saying, uh, I'm sorry, can you please explain that to me? Because I don't know what you're talking about. And actually, we did we did have some teaching with Lido. People would come up to me and be like, I'm so glad you asked that question because I was too embarrassed because I did a degree in X, Y, and Z. And it would be so embarrassing if I didn't know it. Whereas for me, it was like, oh, that's the that's the, the girl that 
<laughs> did social anthropology. So like, it's okay for her to not know stuff. So it was, it was useful sometimes, but also obviously it was a big barrier to overcome. But it, you know, it meant that I got to speak to people and people were very generous with their time. What were the other questions that you had there? Oh God, so many challenges. <laughs> I mean, again, so I, I mean, for me, writing was the biggest thing. I am, despite the fact, you know, I'd done a lot of writing in my undergraduate degree, writing in a scientific way was re- is, is still really difficult for me. And I overthink everything. And basically the way that I overcome that is I have a massive whiteboard at home actually it's a mirror that I just use whiteboard pens on I have loads of post-its you know if I ever have a meeting with a student I, like the first thing I do is open up the whiteboard on teams or get the whiteboard out if we're in person and like just draw everything out and try and communicate it in like a visual structured way so I can then put it into something linear because especially with so neurogastroenterology where you're talking about all these like connections between the brain and the gut and the environment and what you're eating and there's so many things going on I think to turn that into a linear document for me I really struggled with so I would start by getting it down on paper and then I would start to see the some sense in in all the different things that were connecting so I think that that's my solution I don't know if it's you know the best thing but it works for me Interesting. I wouldn't have thought that writing would be your biggest challenge because of your background. But I think often, like particularly when you come to write a manuscript, it has to be in such a meticulous story-like way that is like striking and grabs the reader's attention. It's, it is a, an art. So it's interesting to hear about the tools that you use to get your thoughts down on paper before kind of transferring them into that linear flow of writing so thank you for sharing that I guess like you mentioned that you had a center manager role in your job while you did your um, part-time MSc before starting your PhD so I guess you were kind of entering the medical kind of research arena at that point and that you said that your team encouraged you to go into academic research but having now completed your PhD and being a couple of years into your postdoc how what has your experience in academic research been like? And are you glad that you made that switch into academic research? And yeah, like, has it been what you expected? That's a really good question. So I can tell you, I saw, so in our, in our, the building that I work in, there was a job ad that was advertised for a, for a center, basically a center manager. That's probably would have been, pet. so if I'd have stayed in my job, I probably would be being paid about 15 grand a year more than I am now so I definitely did not do the PhD to make money (laughs) I definitely did not do the PhD to have a stable career but I am very glad I did the PhD and there's definitely things that I skills and understanding that I use now from that role in my current role so especially at the moment I'm working on a real world trial testing out some new software in hospitals so understanding how academic institutions work or do not work with 
NHS institutions and commercial companies that so the company that I work with has made the software. So that kind of understanding of the power dynamics and finance and just general organization stuff, I, I use. Some days I wish I could have a lobotomy to remove that information from my brain because it means that everyone comes to me with their contract issues, their finance issues, their difficult, why isn't this happening issues. Um, and actually, if I didn't know that, I could probably spend a lot more time just doing science. So it's it's good and it's bad. <laughs> and it got... it that job got me to where I am today. I was, I did that job with the UCL Center for Medical Imaging. I did my PhD jointly between uh, Queen Mary and the Center for Medical Imaging, and I'm now working for the Center for Medical Imaging. So I, you know, they have been really good to me and they've supported me through all of these things. And I've got to do some really interesting research as part of that role. But yeah, it's, sometimes I just wish I could forget everything or everyone could forget who I was. <laughs> I like need to change my hair color or something and <laughs> change my name. <laughs> yeah, I completely get where you're coming from. Sometimes the admin jobs take up so much of your day or like helping people or teaching as great as it is to like share that knowledge or that skill set with people. Like you said, like people took the time to teach you things. So you want to take the time to teach other people things because we weren't experts from day one either but like when you're working towards that deadline or trying to get some data together it can be sometimes a bit frustrating because it really slows you down especially in a relatively small team like mine I guess so it sounds like you've really enjoyed medical imaging because you've been in it for a long time can you talk to us a little bit about your so you mentioned that you're developing a software to be integrated into the NHS system which sounds really cool can you tell us about that project in a bit more detail and what you enjoy the most whilst doing your current postdoc job so yeah I do really enjoy medical imaging um, and it's it, my my journey in science has kind of been a journey of finding what kind of like scale of impact and how close I am to the impact of that science. So epidemiology was just too big, too, like you're so far away from, from any sort of, the, any intervention that you make, you're so far away from it. It's really hard to know if that's actually the thing that's, that's changing until you look in very, very large numbers. And then I kind of went all the way to the other end of the scale and was doing this really basic science mechanistic stuff that was never maybe never going to turn into anything useful so I've kind of found a really good middle ground where we're kind of developing tools for quite specific indications but with a company so they develop the software I either provide the data for them to train and test those tools or take those tools into hospitals and and find out how clinicians are using them so I think that's that for me is the right place to be where I can see that you know in the next well I mean some, you know some of these things are being used now but in the next three to five years it's actually going to make a difference to someone's life or slightly make radiologists lives easier either way <laughs> so yeah that and and I think medical imaging is is really interesting because it is it's very visual people get it it you know, from that very first project I was working on with prostate cancer, it really does make a difference to, to people's quality of life and you know, length of life if you can diagnose people early enough to treat them. So I, I really like that about medical imaging. But the other reason I really enjoy it is because 
I get to work with so many different disciplines and kind of carry on that interdisciplinarity. And I think if anyone asks me what kind of science I am, a scientist I am, I struggle to say what I am, but I can say what I'm not and but who I work with. So I'm definitely not an MR physicist. I'm not a software engineer. I'm not a statistician. I'm not a radiologist. I'm not a health economist, but I work with all of those people and I'm able to speak to all of those people and help them to take this software or these new technologies and move them forward so I'm, I'm a networker rather than a and I'm a node rather than a <laughs> uh, an individual thing working by myself and I yeah I really enjoy that aspect of my job I do not work alone which sometimes means that you know you're relying on other people but I think largely that's a good thing to work with other people hmm, amazing that's really interesting to hear I completely I had made made a note of the prostate um, cancer project that you first worked on because it's really translational as well. And like you say, making a huge difference to the quality of patients' lives because any way that you can reduce the invasiveness of these screening techniques or like medical tests, like biopsies, like endoscopies, is a huge advancement of the field and means a lot to people. So I completely, I agree with that. I feel very similarly to, to how you feel. And like knowing that you'll make a difference to someone's life in three to five years is a, is a really nice way of measuring your impact. So I get it sounds like you've found a really good middle ground between academia and like a, a commercial kind of way of developing something to make impact in patients' lives. So very interesting stuff. So I'm wondering what your current thoughts are about where you're next planning to take your career because you've had such a diverse range of experiences obviously continuing as a postdoc is one option I'm sure your current team probably would love to keep the very special node that you are in that you know networking team because it's not an easy task to work with so many different types of people in such an interdisciplinary team to develop a product essentially and I'm sure you're a great asset to them but obviously we discussed all the financial kind of implications of what being a postdoc means and the lack of security and, and all that kind of stuff. So do you think you're motivated enough in this current position to stay in it long time? Obviously, we never know what life will throw our way. And you may just get this huge bit of funding that will take you through the next like five years or whatever, which is a long term job considered in academia. But you also your skill set is so diverse and rich that I can imagine you doing as impactful, you know, work or research in different settings. So I'm just wondering what is currently kind of your thinking process. And obviously you don't have to give a, a concrete answer, but just I'm just trying to kind of find out how your your thinking process into driving your career, basically. Yeah, so a postdoc is definitely one of the options. And yeah, we've got this really exciting project that's starting very soon using some of the gastrointestinal imaging techniques I developed during my PhD, applying it to Parkinson's disease. So that's like a really exciting opportunity that, that encompasses this whole interesting mechanism of where Parkinson's originates and how that relates to your gastrointestinal function and all these kind of things. And that's really exciting. I do have funding for, for a bit and I've got my, my groups really supportive but academia is a hard place to work right now we're 
like our department's got to find 6% cuts in the next, you know, six months. So already (laughs) overworked um, support staff are either just being cut or they're having more to do, which means that I then have to do even more of those admin jobs. You know, there's all these, this industrial action going on with University College Union at the moment about our pensions that were cut by 30% in April. You know, the gender pay gap and the other pay gaps are unreal. Yeah, academia is definitely what I would like to do, but whether it's um, it's it's sustainable long-term is, is definitely something that is on my mind at the moment, especially with the cost of living crisis and the, the pandemic working at home with my partner who works for a charity and he works incredibly hard but but not not the way that academics do spending all your time seeing how how non-academics work and him for the same and just all the weird things about academia where you're like doing stuff for other people but you're not necessarily you know it's like it is a weird world so there are I there are other options one of them would be and and the kind of logical thing would be to go into a med tech company hopefully in medical imaging and you know do something like be a product owner and being able to like understand the science but also work on the kind of more like marketing sales that kind of side of things and really understanding what users want out of a specific bit of technology and the regulatory stuff and that that is also a big option but I am a socialist at heart (laughs) so I feel like the public sector charities are more where I I naturally belong. So then the other option is the NHS. There's some really exciting stuff going on. I mean, there's a lot of changes going on in the NHS at the moment, but kind of NHS digital and the and NHS AI and you know, there's there's lots of exciting things in that space. So the NHS is one of those things. You know, maybe then the left field thing is like leaving altogether and going right now I'm doing the job that I wanted to do five six seven years ago but it feels like the world has gone insane in this time that I've been locked down doing my PhD and like climate change is like just wrecking (laughs) you know lives just you know the world is just falling apart and so part of me thinks going out and using the skills that I've learned in, in a more kind of direct role that is either addressing like the, the policy um, of to do with like the health impacts of climate change or just the kind of like social justice, you know, going back maybe to more my the anthropology background where you're kind of like someone needs to do something about this. And, you know, I'm in, I'm 36 now. I'm, I'm one of the grownups now. Like in the old days, we used to be like, oh God, our parents, it was all their fault. Why didn't they do anything? But like, they're they're old they're going out now like this this is like I'm the adult and if I'm not doing anything about it then who is so yeah so there's there's lots of options right now I'm focusing on wrapping up the projects I'm currently working on that are kind of finishing in the next like six six to nine months and then I think there is going to be a period of kind of reflection we'll see how this Parkinson's project goes but yeah it's it's big decision time (laughs) thank you for sharing all of that actually it's really empowering to hear because I I don't know I feel very similarly to you in many ways in the options that you're considering because I also I guess I'm quite idealistic at heart and want to make 
meaningful impact in people's lives. And sometimes because academia is so slow and the funding is kind of sometimes there and sometimes isn't. And because they pile so many extra responsibilities onto your plate that end up eating into your research time, you don't end up making as much impact as you think you would. But one thing that I found that I actually made a note of is what you said about doing the job that you dreamt of doing five, six years ago. And I think that's really important. Like we have to remember that and kind of celebrate the fact that we are doing that job that we really like wished or like dreamt of doing a few years back. But when you said that the world has changed so much in during that time, I can't agree more. And so I feel frustrated doing a job where my progress is kind of slowed down by these stupid things that that shouldn't be making such a huge direct impact on on your progress. It gets very frustrating. And so like policy kind of work is also something that I'm considering for future just because of that direct impact. And, and like uh, the government is making a huge mess of things at the moment. So just using that scientific knowledge and all the degrees that we've collected over the years to influence policy. But then I'm thinking like, I'm sure there's, as an outsider to that field, it seems like a better option, but we don't necessarily know how that field or space is going to work out. There's probably going to be even more politics and all that kind of stuff to kind of deal with, but all very interesting. And I guess as long as the postdoc work is in the field that you're really passionate about, which which it is. And you never know, the Parkinson's project may prove fruitful. And maybe things will kind of, I don't know, maybe other people will take on the burden of making those policy changes that, and we can just support them as scientists in the field. I don't know. But yeah, it's, I think as, I mean, I'm, I'm shocked to hear your age, by the way. I never thought, like, I was like, oh yeah, she's in her, you know, early 30s. You don't look 36 at all. But yeah, like I feel you and I'm not the same arson that I was five years ago as well. And like me five years ago looked at postdocs and was like, oh, they're so cool. Like they're doing research in really cool fields. And I wish I could be like them, like do my PhD, go to all these conferences, meet scientists, exchange ideas, evolve scientific knowledge. And that's great, but it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't quite happen in that way. There's so many politics that come into it and it gets very draining. But like you, yeah, I would prefer to be within the public sector as much as possible. But then what do you do when your progress and like your living standard has to be subsidized relative to people who have fewer qualifications than you and who are progressing a lot more quickly just because the company they work for can afford to give them all those resources that, you know, the lack of which are slowing you down in your field. All, all very interesting and it's really great to hear about those options and I'm glad that I'm not the only postdoc who's doing the work out of genuine like curiosity and interest and passion but also considering other options just because such is life you know <laughs> and we are multifaceted beings who are constantly changing and evolving and our thought processes are you know never gonna stay the same. So before we wrap up, I was wondering if there's anything that you'd like to share with the audience, like any resources or any projects that you're running that require, you know, a bit of marketing. Uh, I'd love to hear about that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I probably should have some like marketing uh, ideas. But I think firstly, if you are part of a university, join the University College Union. I mean, most people don't seem to know what's going on in the academic sector, but it's absolutely 
criminal what they've done to our pensions. And, you know, this whole system is kind of exploitative because it takes a load of people that are doing what they love and then just grinds down salaries and all those kind of things that, you know, that, that are, we're entitled to. So that's my first piece of advice. My second thing would be to anyone that's either doing a PhD or a postdoc or just anyone in the world, there is no shame in asking for help. Um, and that's from asking someone what a pipette is to going to your GP and talking about the fact that your mental health has been impacted. And I struggled during my PhD. I've struggled before my PhD. I'm sure I will struggle again in the future. But the way I got through it was by talking to people about it, um, having talking therapy, speaking to my GP and all of that kind of stuff. So I would definitely encourage anyone who is worried in that way to reach out yeah i think those are the two the two main things i could go on about the entire world imploding but we'll be here all night <laughs> oh heather thank you so much that was honestly beautiful and i just looked at like the recording time i didn't even realize it'd been that long so it was honestly like having a conversation just over coffee so thank you for your advice and for your wisdom i really really appreciate it and i'm sure the audience will pick up lots of really useful things from your story as well thank you 